G Lee, what up, bro? What's going on, man? How, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Hey, man, a little bit behind the scenes. We just took like a 30 minutes to try to figure out <laughs> how did we get this visual, the visual side of this podcast recording to work. We made it happen, though. It was a, it was a journey, man. Them degrees paid off, man. Come on, man. Mental toughness, man. Mental toughness, man. <laughs> how are you doing with this time of quarantine? Uh, I'm doing all right. I mean, we've been in it now for, I guess, almost two months. Ago. I've almost become used to what's going on down here, though. And, you know, they, they, they're they going to lax a little bit of the rules and open up some of the parks. Meaning and, Florida? Uh, yeah. Some other. Yeah, down in, like, South Florida. Yeah, I guess that maybe they ain't in the whole state. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's strange. I, I, I got to say that. I mean, it, it's weird to see so many people walking around with masks. It's weird to see... Uh, not as many people on the roads right. during the day. I mean, this is definitely going to go down in like history as one of like the biggest events of our lifetime. Totally, totally unprecedented. I um, one of the things I was going to speak with you about because it's something during this time of quarantine I've been struggling with. But looking at you, you now seem to be struggling with it, and I, I'm going to ask you why. See, I haven't had a one for those who can't see me because of my hairline. And because I cannot go to the barbershop, looks a hot mess. But how do you have a fresh body, man? Well, you know, you don't need no barber for that, man. I had a barber for like eight or nine years straight. And like last year, I decided I was going to end my journey with my hair, man. So now, I mean, it's every three days. I just take some the clippers that I used to just edge myself with. I just use those now to cut my whole head. So convenient, man. So... I used to wear hats a lot too because when I didn't, I was in the same boat. When I didn't have a haircut, Oof. you don't look as presentable, man. Right? Just, trouble, just, trouble. Too, like, you, gotta, <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta have your haircut nice. Yeah, I um, so I, I sometimes do cut my hair myself, but this time of quarantine is a solidarity for those who cannot go to the barber shop. I'm letting it go. I'm gonna keep a hat on though because it looks a hot mess underneath, and I got my. Uh, See, I thought you don't have a bald head. I usually do. I usually do, but it's growing out now. But, but oh, I. But your bald head, you never cut. You you always had somebody to do that to you. Not always. I would say oh. seventy per seventy percent of the time I would cut it, but but okay. But this is the time my wife always wanted me to grow. I was like, babe, my hairline doesn't add up like that. But uh, but since it's just the two of us <laughs> in the house, I let it ride. Yeah. But then when I get a chance to reconnect with folks and Zoom meetings, I stay with a hat on. <laughs> this is for my wife's eyes only right now. What'd you say? Oh uh, yeah, I said I still got a couple of hats that I that I keep like four or five whenever you know I want to get out there and reminisce about my old hat. <laughs> but I'm glad, man. I've 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 honestly gelled into this bald man lifestyle. Like I'm a bald head man. I dig it. I dig <laughs> it. Yeah, I'm with you, bro. I'm with you. Question, man. Before we get too much into it, man, I want to play a little game called This or That. You got to make a decision. Okay. No straddling the fence. <clears throat> so, would you rather live where it only snows or the temperature never falls below 100 degrees? Only snows or never falls below 100? Oh, that's tough, man. Because Lord knows that cold weather, boy, did a number on me, boy, when I was in Pittsburgh. But obviously, I don't like it too hot. I mean, I'm going to have to go with never falls below 100. Mm. That's pretty much like Florida in the summertime anyway. Like the, the temperature doesn't get up there. But when you factor in the humidity, yeah, 
Yeah, never falls though. Never. Huh? It never falls below 100 though. So at least it's, you have the summer period of time, but you get us some little break come September, right. o- October. But you're going, you're going with no. 100 degrees. I still would rather that. Okay. And I wouldn't do it if we wasn't in Florida though, because we get that nice breeze that comes in off the coast. So if you're in Florida and it's hot and you're under some shade, it's not like being in Arizona and it's hot. Like, it don't matter where you at. That, that, the wind is hot out there. But at least here, there's some, there's some shit. I can't do cold weather no matter what. It is. <laughs> Fair it enough. Would, it wouldn't matter if you said fall below 150 degrees. <laughs> it's cold no more. <laughs> I, got, I got another one for you, bro. So, okay. if you had to do one or the other, would you hand wash a car or cut the grass? Oh, cut the grass. Cut the grass. I cut. I'm a grass cutter. I cut the grass yesterday. Okay. All right. I, I'm a, that's what I do. That's my. That's my leisure time, man. When I get out there and I get out there with that, that lawnmower and them tools, you feel surgical. I feel like a doctor. How I about that? I'd rather cut the grass. How about that? I'd much rather. Cut, uh, yeah, you do. Now, like if you have a. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, well, you don't have a a big yard, right? Where you stay, you're like in the city area. Right. Right. Yeah. Yes. I am too. But we have like the you know big front yard and backyard. And so, at first when we moved in, I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do this because I had never done it like on a consistent basis. Got you. When I was younger. Got you. In high school, but but after like having someone do it for like the first two months, and me just being like, you know what, I think I can do this because I used to just watch him. Right. 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 And so finally, I started doing it. So yeah, man, I'd much rather. I never wash the car. I never wash the car. I always put it through the car wash. How about you? What you never hand washed your car before? No, I do, but I don't do it as often as got I got you. Okay, right. got you, got you, got you. Yeah, you you were running yeah, through. Yeah, yeah. I, I like I'll, I'll I'll hand wash the car every once in a good while. For the most part, I'll just put it through the car wash. But the grass, that's I mean that's every twice twice a month. So I much rather do that. Got you, got you. All right, here we go. Last one. Which pair are you taking in a battle? Best of we we'll call it best of seven. In the battle, you have okay. Darrell Revis at one corner, Sean Robinson at the other corner, versus Larry Fitzgerald, one receiver, Greg Lee at the other receiver. Who are you going with? So, <laughs> me and who am I with? I'm you with and Larry. Larry. You and Larry. I'm with Larry. Versus Larry versus against you and Revis. Yes. Uh, I'd have to say you and Revis, man. Seriously, and Revis would do a good job on 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 fits. And I mean, actually, you know what? I've never seen. I've seen like the small clips of like, of you playing, but you know what I'm saying. I don't. Know, I'm not sure, but I'm gonna have to go with with, with uh, you and you and like Revis though, just because I think Revis is just like the best cornerback that's nah, he's in- of our generation. I also think Fitz is the best receiver, too. Right, right, <laughs> right, like, right. They cancel each other out, man. So it'll just be me and you. It's I, whatever. I, it's- mean, I got I got about <laughs> maybe about 20, 30 pounds ago. <laughs> I gave you a, a more solid answer, but now... I'm not sure, man. But oh, now, now I'm I'm deep on the golf course now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I haven't. That's one thing I gotta get into. I haven't even tried. We gotta get out there, man. Once in my life, but I'm gonna get yeah, you out, I know, man. I, I, it always looks like you're having a good time out there. Yeah, I'm gonna get you out, man. We're in Florida. I'm gonna get you out. So speaking of Florida, man, tell us about your background. Where are you from? I'm from. I was born in Sarasota, 
and uh, raised in Tampa, Florida. I went to high school in Tampa, played, I grew up in Tampa. I, I claim Tampa as to where I'm from. So I'm pausing. Tampa, are you a Bucks fan? I'm a big Bucks fan. Are you? I'm a bigger Bucks fan today. So, 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 so before we talk about what happened today, what do you think about the Tom Brady signing? I like it. It's the best. He's the, the, the biggest high profile quarterback. I mean, he's considered one of the greatest quarterbacks that ever played. And now he's playing for, for our team. I love it. Even though he's at the tail end of his career. It doesn't matter, huh? I think that, yeah, I think the man still has enough <laughs> mentally and physically to be able to take us back to the promised land. We got Gronk, too, today. Yeah, you got Gronk today, so you're extremely excited. The Bucks have always been, that's the only team, that I, like, my sport has been basketball, so I've always liked um, basketball more. I've always liked, the Lakers has always been my favorite team, mm-hmm. always been my favorite player, but the Bucks are the only, like, hometown team that I represent. We don't got no basketball team in Tampa. So I've been on the Bucks hard, 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 all my life. My dad has. And, you know, it just it, it just carried on down that line. So, yeah, I'm extremely excited about Tom Brady. I'm excited about Grunt being there. I'm excited about us possibly making the playoffs. <laughs> playoffs? <laughs> 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 hey, it would be incredible, though, because the Super Bowl is in Tampa. The Super Bowl being yeah, in Tampa. Yeah. So, like, for the home team to be in the Super Bowl, I don't think that's ever happened before. So, that would be incredible. It, has, it hasn't uh, happened before. So, this year might be the first time we we get to go down that road. We got a fellow. Uh, be on. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. What you say? Now I was going to say we have a fellow Pitt alum on the team, Jordan Whitehead, safety holding it down. Shout out to Jay White, former Orange Arrow volunteer. Our guy Jay oh, White. Yeah. yeah, Jay White there, and uh, we, we we got shoot actually you got to show love to Tory Cox. He played with Tampa his entire his entire career. TC, so TC, yeah, no. you got to get the tickets. TC, bus go to Super Bowl. Yeah, tickets right. on TC. Make it happen. <laughs> so cool so yeah high school yeah high school uh spent uh in tampa you know was a um sport four sport athlete i played football basketball a small stint of baseball and i ran track uh and from there i went on the uh from, from there i went on to pittsburgh which is actually my first time even leaving the state so just going up there to pennsylvania was a complete culture shock to me. Wow. So let me take you back. So being recruited to play football at the collegiate level, what other schools were were you considering? Well, I only had two other offers when I came out of high school. One, the first one was Wake Forest. Okay. And that was the first that was the first visit I took. I Carolina. Was first time I saw snow. My first time on a plane was when I took that visit to Wake Forest. Um, but since that was my first visit and we were allotted at least five, even though I had three, I didn't want to commit, even though I wanted to, I wanted to go other places. So the next visit I took was San Diego state. Wow. Um, and that was beautiful out there. It was just too far. Gotcha. That's the home of a whole nother world. That's the home of, uh, who would, uh, did Marshall Falk go there? Yeah. Yeah. Marshall Falk. Uh, is there. And I think, um, basketball player Kawhi Leonard went there. Did he? Um, yeah, I think I think Kawhi was at San Diego State. Okay. But by the time I got back from that visit, Wake Forest had declined their offer. They, 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 they took it back. And I guess they, they offered it to someone else. And that was where I, I had committed to go, where I was thinking about going. Wow. So they took their offer off, and so it was just San Diego State. And at the last minute, Pitt 
because of a, a teammate of mine who was being recruited by the Pip, Joe Clement. He mentioned them to me. And I think within a week, a week before signing day, they, they offered me. How so about Pitt that? Was the, yeah, so it was only San Diego State uh, and Wake Forest were the only two. Uh, actually, Wake Forest, uh, San Diego State didn't offer. I just went on a visit. Wake Forest offered and, and Pitt offered. So I guess, yeah, just one other offer besides Pitt. How about that? And that's interesting. There's a, a number of other unique, great pit wide receivers in their recruiting process from Antonio Bryant. I mean, I think yeah, a yeah, lot, like lot, lot of people slept on him. Uh, Larry, Larry Fitzgerald, you know, he had to go to um, to the military school first. And like, Valley Forest, yeah. yeah, Valley Forest. So that's pretty that's pretty incredible. Like you all like three of the greats and, and the stories go on and on. Uh, Lamar Slade. So it's interesting. So Pitt hangs in there. <laughs> Pitt hangs in there and find a, yeah. find a diamonds in the rough. But then next, you know, they become legends. That's really cool. Well, you know, what, what it is is I didn't go to any of the camps coming out of high school. And back then, I think it's, they still do it now, but you don't have to go to the camps. They have, like, you know, they can just get film of you. But they rate you when you can go to the camp. You become a four or five star athlete. I didn't have any ratings. I didn't have any stars. Because I didn't attend any of those camps, right? And so I guess that's a lot of guys because the camps cost money. Yeah, true. And people weren't paying for the go to the camp, so so a lot of guys like fall under the radar like that. And luckily, you know, I was able to be found by Pitt, go there, and uh, make a career out of there. How about that? So, so how was that uh, transition from high school to college to being a student athlete? Speak to both sides of that. That was tough. Um, one being because I had never left the state of Florida, so there was a little bit of culture shock going up there. I remember the first day I got up there, I was staying with Yogi Roth. Shout out to Yogi. <laughs> I was staying with him, me and my high school teammate, and I looked out the window, and I just I started to cry because I just I didn't recognize anything. The people that I was looking at specifically just looked kind of weird to me. They had on all black. They was like goth, goth kind of like thing, which I had seen in high school, but never like in the streets. Uh, and so being there at first, my first initial feeling was to come back home. You know, I want to use You want to go back to what you're used to. I'm not used to it. it is, I want to play football, but I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm way too far away from home. So, but once I got past that part, which is something that most college students go through that are attending schools that are away from where they're from, I went through the same thing. Right. Once I got past that, I mean, I didn't want my Christmas time. I went on Christmas break. After two days at home, I was ready to get back to Pittsburgh. How about that? How about that? You were ready to get back to the birds. <laughs> I was ready cause, because by that time, now you've gotten friends. You've gotten comfortable. You've got to experience some of that college lifestyle, which is, like, real big, too, because my, my parents were, I never, I had, a, I didn't have a curfew, but I was always on time with being home. Never stayed out, never stayed up. Right. So that was, that was kind of unique, too, because you had to transition into, like, being a, a younger dog. Um, obviously, the weather was something that was different for me when I first got there. Or, well, I mean, when winter time hit, I was waking everybody up in the dorm room. People that are from Pennsylvania, <laughs> waking them up, telling them to come look at this snow. <laughs> because it was amazing to me. But I got a frostbite a couple of times because I didn't realize how cold the snow was at first. Right. I didn't have earmuffs. So my, my ears would, would, would hurt off. Like, all that stuff I had to learn within, like, first semester. Okay. Like, second semester, I was good. You, you were ready, all, all of those All of those nuances happened in that, that, that first semester. But it was, I mean, I don't think my transition was any different than 
any other player or a college athlete or student athlete at that that goes to school in a state that's thousand miles away from home. And now, was uh, Walt Harris was the, the head coach? Yeah, Walt Harris was the head coach when I first got there. He was the head coach my first two years there. Now, who was the uh, who was your position coach when you first got there? Wide receiver coach. My first position coach was J.D. Brookhart. Oh, Brook was your okay. Hawkeye Brookhart. Yeah. Okay, J.D. Uh, he left the next year to become the head coach at Akron. Okay, all right. So the first year, and then he moved over. Okay, I did. Okay, got it. And then the following year, I had a coach by the name of Pete Carmichael, who was um, he had come from Boston College, an older guy. He was so fun. He was like the funniest coach I ever had. <laughs> and my last year, I was there with R.B. Hill, received the coach. Okay. Uh, so I had I had three different coaches. I had a new coach every year I was there. Gotcha. Every season I played, I, there was a new coach. Now, what was your major? My major was communication. 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 Uh, and uh, strength and conditioning coach was? Uh, we had Coach Kent. Coach K. Coach Kent. Coach Kent. Kent. Okay. I'm thinking of Coach Kennedy. But, okay. Yeah. No, at, at first there was a uh, there was another strength, uh, strength and conditioning coach. Was it Kennedy? Was he still there at all? Coach K from Ohio no, State? He, 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 was, he was there. Before I got there, yeah, he before. came back after I left. Okay. He came okay. Back, he came back after I left there, but I wasn't there while, while he was there. I don't even think I've ever, I've ever met him. So, so but, how uh, how was the conditioning for you as a as a college athlete? Like, was it a struggle or something? You dominated. Tell me, tell me about the conditioning side of things. I definitely didn't dominate. <laughs> I was I was a thin guy. I, I came in to get at one hundred and seventy five pounds. How tall are you? I was like six one. Six one, okay. So yeah, yeah. So I was already, I had already reached my peak height by the time I was, I think, like eighth or ninth grade. You know, I had already stopped growing. Um, but lifting weights was tough, especially like waking up early in the morning for camp. I still remember those days. I, I remember the smell of the of the hallways, walking down them, like walking <laughs> down the steps to the peak on the bus. Um, lifting weights was. I never liked lifting weights. I actually, I used to be made to lift weights as punishment by my dad when I acted up. Oh. I did something I'm favorable to him. He would make me lift weights. So I'd be lifting weights crying. <laughs> I never grew I never grew out of that. So we Interesting. got there, but you know when, yeah, my once you're doing it though and you're doing it now with a purpose now of being able to put on weight, get stronger. Because that was they told me you you know you're thin. You have to put some weight on you really need to, you know, have some weight. Uh, put on you if you're gonna play D one football. Right. So after after just a little while, you know, just getting used to strength and the conditioning and, and, and the, when we have to lift and and it's easier when, when you do it with groups, which is how you do it. You know, you lift with your you lift with your groups in college, and so I mean that became a little easier. I'm still not a fan of it. After I wasn't after I didn't have to do it anymore, I basically never did it. <laughs> like once I left college. I just and I and I stopped playing. Like I, I, I never live. I would lift. I would run and play basketball to keep it in shape and play push ups. But weights, no, I just I never delved back into it, man. I got you. So it was it was cool though. Like you know, coming out of high school though, and starting a weight and strengthening program. When I first came back that December, 
I think I had only put on maybe like 10 pounds. Okay. But everybody looked like I had put on 40 pounds of muscle. <laughs> like, man, you're so big. Look at you. You done filled out. Right, <laughs> right. Good. Yeah, I know it did. I know it did. I went through that same thing because I think leaving high school, I was probably about 160, 165. So to get 175, come back 175, 180. Okay, I see you, yeah. Sean. I see you. You know, a little something, <laughs> something. <laughs> yeah. So, G. Lee, man, you put up some numbers during your time at Pitt. What, what, uh, what's one of your fondest memories playing there? My fondest memory would be beating West Virginia at Pittsburgh. Uh, I think this is 2004, the year that we went on to the Fiesta Bowl, Austin, Utah. Um, I had no idea about that rivalry between Pittsburgh and Virginia before I got to Pitt. But, you know, once you're there, they make sure that you, you feel it. And so the first year we played them, I can't remember if we won or lost, but I, all of a sudden I started to feel what every, the, the natives there felt about West Virginia, that, that hatred of them. And, you know, that started to build in me towards them. And we hadn't beaten them in a while, I think two or three years or something like that. So when we finally got them in Heinz, Heinz Field, oh, my goodness, it's the most memorable. It's the happiest I can remember being. That's the, like the, the backyard brawl. After that game. Yeah. But yeah, backyard brawl, man. Beating West Virginia. But, you know, also the best part about college is hanging out with the guys, with the people you get to meet. Those are some of my, my fondest memories. They're just meeting people and different personalities on the teams and seeing mountains. Like when I got to Pennsylvania, I had never seen mountains before. And never seen homes in the mountains, too. Like that, I took a picture of that and sent that back home. <laughs> um, but I would have to say, being in West Virginia, about the, the time that I spent there at Pitt that year for that game, I mean, I was my emotions were as high as they had ever been after that after that morning. So, share some of your stats. Like, what's some of the stats that when you think about? It's like, like I'm proud. Of, I'm proud of those numbers. What comes up? What comes up for you? You know, I don't. There's only a couple stats that I know off the top of my head. Like, I know I think it's a hundred and. 20-something catches. Um, let me see. If there's any that I can think or say that I'm proud of. Over 100 catches in one season? No, no, no. Over the span of three seasons. Okay, got gotcha, you, got gotcha, you, got gotcha, you, got gotcha. you. Yeah, yeah. First season, I only had like 10 catches because I played behind Pitts. Yeah. Oh. Um, and I only Understood. played like the last three three or four games. Understood. But um, honestly, I can't say I honestly don't have a record or a stat there that I would say because – I haven't. I didn't set any records. You know, all of my records there have been eclipsed by either people who were before me or people that have come since me. Um, so playing in Fiesta Bowl for me was probably like one of the best things that happened to us while it happened to me while we were there. Getting that experience, going out west, seeing Arizona like for the first time, and the just the the vibe and the feel around the Fiesta Bowl and the hoopla that comes with it. That was wild. But in terms of like stats and stuff, I don't, I don't think I have any that I can say on my favorite or any that I, that I'm proud of. If I had set a record or something, that would be different. Got you. So, so out of my records. So, so you're a humble guy, and while you may not remember the stats, you put up enough work to where you put yourself in a position that you were able to leave school early. Right. So you left after your junior year. Talk about the uh, the thought behind that uh, that decision. Well, it was actually 
when I was in high school, I decided that I wanted to play three years of college football. And if I got a chance, if I had enough notoriety by that time, I wanted to pursue a professional career. Now, I was just a dream at that time in high school because I wasn't even thinking, I didn't even know if I was going to get into a D1 school. But once I got there, the year following my sophomore year, um, going into my junior year, which was my last year, they come out with these preseason rankings. And I think in Sporting News Magazine, or one of the news magazines, I was ranked like the number one and number two receiver heading into the season. Now, I had just come off of my... And that's a stat. <laughs> you talk about stats. Yeah. That's a stat, man. Go ahead. Yeah, but that was, I think it was, it was either two or one or two, but I, I think it was. Top four. five. Top five. Top five. Yeah. Right. And I made, a, I made a couple magazines. I still got those. Hey, come on. Now you talking. Come on, G. Lee. <laughs> talk that talk. Yeah. <laughs> and so all that stuff is what led me into like going into that season thinking, you know what, this is my last year. Like as long as I don't get hurt, I just have like um, a terrible year or something like that I'm coming out I never I mean I, I stood on that like the entire season and so had it not been I would say for the publications there's a little bit of the big head that got I mean once I saw that I, and I honestly felt like you know that I was ready because the best competition I was going up against was in practice against like you know guys like Darrell Revis and the games at that point, it didn't seem as competitive enough, you know. And so I'm factoring that in. I'm factoring in that the, I told myself I wanted to play three years. Factoring in, they got me on um, uh, magazines. Right. And, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a great announcer. My name is out there. And also, after you finish your sophomore year, things after your sophomore year, you're allowed to be contacted because you, you, you're eligible to your junior year. You're allowed to be contacted by guys who don't want to represent you, agents and stuff. And so that started to happen, too. And so I was hearing a lot, you know, from those guys as well. And so by the end of the season, even though the season was not as good as the season before, I mean, I had already had my mind made up, and I said, I'm just gonna go out there and try it and see what uh, see what happens. So you made the decision. They tried to give me the state. just sold me. Like EJ was there. EJ tried to get shout me out to EJ. Up, he he brought up the actual stats. He was actually came the closest at swaying me. So so so. So for those who don't know, EJ Borghetti is incredible. He is the head of media relations at, at Pitt. I mean, salt of the earth. So go ahead. Yeah. So he brought me into his office and he was like, look, you know, you've been, Pitt has a lot of records as receiver here, but he only played two seasons. You go in and if you come in and stay for your fourth season, you have, you can catch all of his records halfway through the season. Catches, touchdowns, yards. And I think it was consecutive 100-yard games. The only one I couldn't touch was his consecutive games with a touchdown, which I think he was like, I think he still holding a record for that. Yeah. But he gave me those numbers, and, and, he, and he showed me, like, and they were all, like, you know, gettable. And within, not even, well, it wouldn't even take the span of the entire season. This was, these are the numbers that you can get in the first eight to ten games of the season. Uh, and so he did that, and mm. I, I went to talk to Coach Warnstadt, who was my head coach at the time. He was, um, you know, trying to get me to, to stay my quarterback, Tyler Palco. What up, TP? Tyler Palco. Yeah, he, he was trying to, uh, to lure me in. But honestly, you know, my mind had already been made. The only person that, that could have swayed me at that time was my dad. Mm. The only one that had, like, my dad and me relationship has always been, like, drill sergeant and, like, cadet. I was mm. always yes sir, no sir. 
And so, but his stance is more so of like, you know, I'll support you whatever you want to do. You know, and I'm not going to stand in, in front of you, even though I have been, that had always been the case. And so when he left it up to me, you know, 20 years old, I think it was at the time, I think I was 21. Um, you know, I decided with everything that I had done so far and the notoriety that's already out there on me that I was just going to go leave school early and take a chance. So, so you made that decision. You took a chance. Talk about draft day. Oh, draft day was tough because draft day was the only day that I had like dreamt about happening in terms of football. I never, I never dreamt about winning the Super Bowl or like winning, you know, like catching the NFL touchdown. But it was only about getting drafted, and so that was tough. Yeah, because we had, we had my family was there. It was probably so. You're back in Florida. Maybe I'm back in Florida. Okay, back in, back in Tampa, and I remember like we grew up in in the house. It was like five of us like, that grew up in the house. And on draft day, there was like an extra seven people in the house. Easy, and right? I remember thinking that that was like that's the most people I've ever seen in this house. Before. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was tough, man. Like cause, so that year, I think they changed the format of draft the following year because that year the the, the draft itself was so long. Me and my dad went fishing, which we had already planned on doing like years before. We went fishing on draft day. We went fishing for like three hours and came back. Did you catch anything? Round. Didn't catch anything. Ah. It was our worst, you know what? It was our worst day fishing. <laughs> that must have been some type of old man. Right. But we came back three hours later. They still in the first round. Um, my family hadn't got there yet because at that time it wasn't predicted I was going to go first round. They were, my family was only had, they stayed 50 miles south, so it only took them an hour to get there. Um, and the day went on, and I think they got through like the second or third round, or the third round of that day. Didn't get a call. I mean, I was devastated that first day, that first night, because now I'm like, you've had a lot of people, more people that were trying to lure you into like staying in the school, um, and less people that were like, you know, trying to pull for you, for you to come out. But now it's looking like all those other people were right. And there was just this feeling of just shame and black embarrassment that, 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 that came. I didn't even, I wasn't even thinking about the second day of the draft because my dream had always been to go on like the first day. So I was already distraught. And then the second day came and the draft starts and it's long still. And by this time, my girlfriend had flown into town. So she's there with me now. Oh no no! I was I was going to get her towards the end of the uh, of the draft. So they go through fourth round, fifth round, sixth round, nothing. And uh, obviously, I'm sitting there still just driving up. I can't. Even the people who were saying not to come out were saying like you you gonna don't come out because you're probably gonna go fourth or fifth round or something like that. And it's packed those rounds. Oof! Yeah, that's tough. So, that's it's tough. Worse than even what what the naysayers were, were saying. Well, I wouldn't call them naysayers, but, but they were saying actually, you know, it wound up to you know to come true, but. Um, so now it was the sixth or seventh round, and I left to go to the airport to pick up my girlfriend who had just come in. And by the time I got back, um, I remember my stepmom asking me, had I got a call yet? Which she had been asking me like the whole time. I got aggravated with her. I know you did. I'll let you know. I'll let you know if I get a call. Right. But she asked me that this time, and I, was, I didn't really, I wasn't as mad. So I, I asked her what pick are they on? And she was like, that's it, they're, they're done. Look down at my phone, no phone call. I got my girlfriend sitting right next to me. I 
I'm in complete shock. Wow. I mean, just, I went outside. I remember going outside. My dad came out after me, you know, tried to console me, but there was a little much that he could do um, for me at that time. But, you wow. know, I wound up and going to a hotel or something, and then, like, later on that night, I was I got a call from Arizona to come out there for as a free agent. So, so... Like, oh. So 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 before before we before we talk about that side, the um, talk about like that devastation, man. That is, I mean, you told the story so well, and I identify with that. So why I didn't leave school early, you know, I had the hopes of being drafted, and after my senior year, after after the seventh round, my name was not called, no phone calls. I, similar to you, man, I actually went outside, and I was crying like a baby. I was crying like yeah. a baby. I remember calling Lamar Slade because he was in a similar situation. He was crying on the phone as well. And so, so yeah, you know, Lamar, former teammate at Pitt. And yeah. it, it's interesting because, you know, come draft day, and it's actually coming up soon from the time we're recording is actually this weekend. Uh, come draft day, you know, you, you hear the stories about those who are getting drafted, their dreams coming true, being interviewed, but they don't talk about and it's not highlighted of those individuals where their NFL football dreams are devastated and oftentimes done for the rest of their life, their career is over. And it comes to a crash like that. And that's a really tough transition. And that's a tough pill to swallow. And so, yeah, so I wanted to acknowledge that because I was there. Yeah, I mean, you, you come to a screeching halt, man. It's just because you put so much into it. And then, you know, in our families, a lot of African American families, those kids that have that potential to go on to play sports professionally are really looked at as saviors for like the whole family mm-hmm. because what they could make from what they could do could change the lives of your family. So I had that on me. I wanted to do that. That was my that was one of my main reasons for leaving early was that I wanted I wanted to do something like for the family. I wanted to help the family out. I wanted to be able to do something. <clears throat> you know what I mean? Get us out of that house. Um, and so when it didn't happen, yeah, you're right, man. It's, it was devastating. And I had seen a documentary, I think, on HBO. It could have been, might have been sometime while I was in high school, <clears throat> where they followed, they followed the guy who, who didn't get drafted. They had the cameras there at his house. And when I saw it, like I said, I think it was in high school, I was seeing that side of the story, of the draft story, for the first time. And I remember thinking, like, man, that just sucks. I never thought about, like, <laughs> right. getting drafted. Like, right. the pain of that. Everyone gets drafted, right? The only, thing I ever, the only thing I think about is getting drafted. Right. So when that happened, I mean, my mind immediately went back to that thought of thinking, like, wow, this like, I'm here now. This, I'm, I feel that pain now. Like, and it's not fun, man. It is, I mean, you don't know where to go. You really feel, like, lost. Shame is probably, shame and embarrassment are the biggest two emotions. You feel and it'll I mean it'll put you in like a shell you don't want to talk I didn't want to talk to nobody I didn't, I didn't want nobody like contacted me I wasn't going to contact anybody else totally I just wanted to just disappear it's just deep deep like despair that you feel like when you go through something because you honestly feel this is your life this is what you had planned on doing with your life and now you feel like your life is feel like your life has been taken away from that's true. It's so true. Been there. Because all my eggs were in the sports egg, sports basket, football basket. You know, I couldn't really talk to you in length about anything aside from football. 
because I knew only about I knew the most about football and sports. And so even though you know I wound up getting put on as a free agent, the the shame of not being drafted. Draft day to me still today, as of today, is still probably the, one of the most hurtful hurtful days so far, like of my life. Luckily, I haven't lost any close family members or friends. I will probably still pass that once that happens. But right now, like draft day was, I can't remember a day where I just I felt as bad as I did like yeah. on that day. Yes. So, unlike me, you did get the opportunity to uh, to go to camp. So you you got a, you got a call as a free agent. So talk about that journey and that process. Okay. Yeah. So I actually only got the call from two teams to come to camp. Now, normally, if you're like a high targeted, um, a highly sought after player, but you just wasn't drafted, you'll get. Uh, invitations almost for every camp, for at least for teams that need receivers. Because when I went to camp and I came in with guys who also undrafted rookie free agents, they would tell me they got offers from like 10 other teams. But for me, it was only the Detroit Lions. And then and it was actually funny because Larry Fitzgerald put in the call or did something with Arizona because they called me. And the first thing that they mentioned was Larry really wants you out here. You know, he wants you, he started things that worked out for you undrafted, but you know, he wants you out here. And so I had to pick between Detroit and and Arizona. And my mind was set up on going to Detroit because they were actually like saying that we're gonna bring you out here, develop you. They apologize too. They they all apologize because they know kind of say the mind you and they call you. Uh, and they was like, We're gonna bring you out here, we wanna develop you and put you on the practice squad. Now they say that, but they don't always necessarily like they can't guarantee you that they just you know say that sometimes. But Arizona wasn't saying that. They wouldn't say we're gonna put you on practice, but they, they just say we want you out here. So at first I was leaning like, okay, Detroit, because I mean it sounds like I'm gonna get a better chance there. But when Arizona called, which is like ten minutes later, then they mentioned Larry, and I felt like obligated to go there because I'm like, okay, well he must obviously he has some pull. They mentioned his name as soon as they called me. They want me out there. I mean, I looked at their roster and. They actually had like one of the best receiving core in the, in the, in the league that year. Right. Anquan was there, right? Yeah. Yeah, Anquan yeah, yeah. was there. They were too. solid. Yeah, and so, but I chose to go there. I chose Arizona uh, over Detroit. This is after like talking like to my agent and stuff too. They figured that that uh, you know I would have like a better chance out there because Arizona had for the most part those two guys who were just coming off Pro Bowl seasons, Anquan and Fitz. For both pro bowlers, uh, and, the, and, the, and the rest of the other receivers, they carry like five or six more, were just like you know middle of the road type receivers, and I could battle it out between them in order to find a spot there. But that is what factored into me choosing to go out to Arizona as an undrafted rookie free agent. So what happened? Did you make the team? What happened? So no, I, I go out there and I mean, I'm still like distraught from all this stuff happening because. As an undrafted rookie free agent, that's the lowest on the totem pole you can be on a team. And so you don't have this feeling of the months prior, you were the man on your team, on your football team. And you've always been the man on every football team that you've been on. So to now be in the league as an undrafted rookie free agent, people don't even know your name. There were guys that have never heard of me. There was, I remember Anquan or uh, Roll. Was just, he played for Miami. Yep, uh, the cornerback. And 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 Entrell, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, I was 
was out there with him, and he was like, he didn't know that I had came out early. He didn't know like who I was, and once he found out that I didn't get drafted, he was like, well, "Why would you come out early?" Right. <laughs> I was like, "Well, I didn't think it was gonna happen like that." Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that was that was that was different, man. Going from being a man to now you are really like the bottom. I'm on the bottom of the list, and now I have to make this team from like like the very bottom, man. And that was tough, too, because they had a new offensive coordinator that came in that year. I think it was Todd Haley or somebody. And, and they wanted to make sure that the new offense, like the new guys, understood the offense. And so it was different from how it is in most teams where the top guys play a minimum amount in preseason, and then they leave the rest of the spots open for the guys buying to, to make the team. That year, Anquan and Q and the top, they played – like almost all the entire games in preseason. So there was one game I never even played in preseason. And then the other three games, I probably was able to get maybe five or six snaps at the very end of the game. You know, so not only do I not like, am I not having good success, I'm not even really getting that many chances to, to, to show what I can do. And uh, actually the last preseason game, I was able to play a little bit more because the coach explained to me and I'm coming in and telling me, hey, we're sorry that, you know, you haven't got as much of a chance. That's just how the nature of this league works sometimes. But, you know, you've been doing some good stuff in practice. We're going to put it out here this last preseason game. And that last preseason game uh, is when I got, like, the most playing time. I still didn't do much. I think I only had, like, like one catch. But um, You, so you got an NFL catch? <laughs> no, they caught it back. Somebody was holding. Oh, come on, hating. <laughs> Somebody was hating, man. <laughs> Heavy. Yeah, to the facility, and 
you know, I get my books, uh, my playbook back, and there, like, they immediately, as soon as you leave from the coach's office, they send you down the hall, they book your ticket to wherever you want to go. Wow, wherever you want to go. You got to <laughs> No, actually, I'm sorry, not wherever you want to go. You have, you can go back to your hometown. Back home, right. Go back to where you went to college at. But yeah, but they got you. Either, either way, you, you can't stay here. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they, they need you going immediately. Right. So, yeah, no, I actually had a car up there at the time, and my sister lived in Las Vegas. So I just drove my car to Las Vegas to because uh, I wasn't going to drive it back to Tampa. That's why I was going. I drove it three hours to Vegas, left it there, and I flew from there um, back home to Tampa. Uh, I think I had another workout the Chicago Bears but after that I think I was home for the rest of the season but yeah that, that first I mean when I first got to Arizona I mean it was wild because you know you walk you, you walk around guys that you've been looking at and admiring your whole life I was there when Kurt Warner was there he was so cool like Matt Lyman came in with us uh Edwin James had just signed there so I was in awe of you know of all that stuff yeah the squad was uh uh, G. Hayes was there. Gerald Hayes was still there. Yeah, Hayes yeah. Was G. There. Hayes, pit linebacker legend. He was a starting. He was a starting linebacker on the team. He was a man. Yeah, G. Hayes. Yeah. Shout out to G. Hayes. Yes, yeah, so, my former teammate. But oh yeah, but um, yeah, man, it just didn't that first year, and so I got picked up at the end of the year for the Arizona Cardinals. So I went home, and I'm home for like six or seven. Oh no, I'm sorry, three or four months. And you know, during this time, now I don't have. I'm back home. Now I don't have a car now. I left my car in Arizona. I'm not working. I didn't graduate. I mean, so I'm basically back home, really stuck with, with nothing to do. You know what I mean? I'm not playing football. I don't have a college degree, so the job market was like looking kind of, kind of wild and stuff at first. But luckily, at the end of that year, I was able to get on and um, get picked up and play on a practice squad for at least like five, five weeks. And that wound up being like the longest time I spent. Uh, with a team in the NFL. Wow, wow! It, so you yeah. picked you. Um, you made the comment at the time you didn't have your degree. Fast forward a few years, oh. you went back and got it. Yeah, yeah. So after, talk to us about that journey. Uh, after three years of you know trying to and with the NFL, um, it might be like this in other sports too. It's like. There's a cycle of players that they wrote. All of the current players and the new players that are coming in. Um, but if you fall out of that cycle, so if you go a whole year, you don't play. I get a tryout. You can pretty much, you know, wrap it up because it's, I mean they're looking. So that's what happened to me. After three years, I just stopped getting uh, calls for workouts. Like it had been probably like a whole year. I hadn't got any call, you know, any interest. And so I said, all right, I'm just gonna, you know, go back to school and get the degree and finish up. And I was actually, one of my basketball friends talked me into it because I, I, didn't, I didn't want to go back to Pittsburgh. You know, I didn't want to go back. I didn't want to go back for, you know, obviously the, the embarrassment and the shame of now being back here now three years later. Uh, I didn't want to go back to the cold weather. You know what I mean? I just, but at that time, that was really the best option for me. So I called up, uh, I think it was Mike Sands or Donna. Donna Sam, I talked to her. Yeah, Donna Sam, yep. You probably think of Mike Mike Fairball, yep. Mike Fairball, he was one I had to talk to. They told me what I had to do to get back. I just said there was some paperwork that I had to like send in. And so in the um, spring or the winter of 2009, so this is, I left school in the winter of 2005. 
to pursue a professional career. And now this is the winter of 2009. I'm back in school. And I started my uh, that last semester in January. That got fit. And yeah, man. So that, that was tough. I, obviously, because now I'm back in school, the people who were in school with me are now like, like seniors. So it's not like nobody knows me. Like I'm cool because, you know, just walk around and don't have to worry about, you know, the embarrassment of it. There are people there that, that, that still know, like, that know me. Right, like, right. That when I was yeah. They're not older now. And so that was tough dealing with, man. Like, I remember being in school the first time uh, when I was playing football. And I had a class my freshman year with a guy who was a former basketball player at Pitt. And now he was back getting his degree. And I'd be friending him. He was a cool guy. But I just remember thinking, like, damn, that got to be tough. Like, you know, you were playing here, you went to play professionally, and now you're back here, and you don't have, you can't, you don't, you don't have, like, the glamour and stuff that you have as a professional player anymore. I remember thinking that. And How now about here that? I am, five uh, years later. How about I'm that? I'm back in school. I'm in the same spot. And I mean, I'm older than all these kids. Um, just, you know, just a couple of years older, but older than everybody. And so that took some, I mean, I spent more time in the library than I had spent the entire time I was there the first time, though. I, got, I believe it. Because now you're a student athlete. You don't have you just no football practice. You don't have that that time that ties you into to, to, to doing stuff that involves football. And so, I mean, the second time that was actually it was it was nice to be like a student athlete to see it from that side. Oh, oh to be the student, like, student only. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, to just yeah. be a student you know, uh, without the athlete. Part. Right. That was you know that was different. You get a different perspective of how much you know uh, like work that you have to do that, that, that goes into like that. You have to do a lot of work too when you're a student athlete. But when you have more time to like study and like my grades were better my last year while I was there. I wound up having like a three point my last year. Okay. So, yeah. Nice. But yeah, I went there and I only had one year to go. I went there in January and by December I uh, I was graduating. I applaud you for going back. I mean, because a number of people who for some reason or not, you know, play a sport and, uh, you know, they're a student athlete in college for whatever reason, they do not get their degree and they don't go back. And so I applaud you for going back and Oops. knocking that out and taking care of that. And, 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 and so, so I know now, now you're in um, the sales industry, medical sales. Uh, you've also been so gracious, so kind to uh, support the work of Orange Arrow, I mean, you, you uh, you're one of the coaches that go to one of the schools, and so as we're wrapping up, the question for you is, you know, with the mission of Orange Arrow of coaching student athletes to aim for success off the field, off the track, out of the pool, wherever the playing arena may be, why is the mission and the work of Orange Arrow so important? Well, it's important for to keep the kids from running into what I ran into when I couldn't play sports anymore, which is there was nothing that I knew of. There was nowhere to go. There was, you know, it's nothing that I was uh, privy enough in to, to pursue. And so with Orange Arrow, we're teaching these kids life skills um, that they can handle with, you know, while they're dealing with sports, but also with, you know, how to handle themselves outside of that world of sports. You know, if they, like most of them, will not be involved with once they get to an older age. You know, to actually see, because I, I didn't have, you have coaches when you're coming up 
that were telling you that you can't put all your eggs in one basket. You got to have a backup plan. But when you excel at a young age, like I did, they don't you don't hear it as much, you know, because they all they're thinking of well, you you might actually be one of the ones that that has a chance to make it. And so, but the skills of that I had to survive in the real world once I got out of football, I did not have at all. I didn't have the communication skills. I, I didn't know where to go. I didn't know like the resume. I didn't know how to format it. It was a lot. I mean, I didn't know any of that thing, any of those things. And so. Being able to instill this in kids at a young age, before they can even, before they look like they might be a potential first round or second round pick, being able to instill it in them then that there are skills that you have to require in order to make it in this world um, that don't involve you playing sports. Because when you play sports, you kind of like you treat it a certain way. You know, you you you, you, you I want to say coddle or coddle at all, but you know, you, you show favoritism a little bit. But once you can no longer play that sport, or once you're no longer good at that sport, <laughs> right. that favoritism goes away and Quickly. you feel like you're really lost and stuck. But so if I had something like this, like what Orange Arrow does, I don't think that transition would have been so hard or so tough. And I wouldn't have felt like so long going. So being able to see these kids that want to pursue a life in sports at a young age and to be able to sit with them and work with them and talk to them and let them know, like, statistically, because that's how we have to look at things, right. it may not pan out for you that way. And just in case it doesn't, here are a set of skills that you can use to, to, to navigate your way through this life. Awesome. I think that's beautiful, man. And I think that it, it serves a great purpose to the kids. It serves a great purpose to the parents of those kids, ones who may not be able to have the kind of guys like we are, talk to their kids, teach their kids, sit with their kids for a little bit, you know what I mean? Just listen to them. All those things, they, they, they make a difference in the upbringing of, 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 of kids and, and, you know, and, and how they wound up being. Awesome. Adults. Awesome. More than athlete. And that's who you are. And, and that's what we strive to make sure we instill in our collegiate and young student athletes. G. Lee, exactly. Greg Lee, thank you for your time. Appreciate you, bro. Once we get out of this time of quarantine, we are going to go to the golf course. I got to make sure I get you out there. I'm going to get out there. I might buy me a little uh, um, golf game on PlayStation, man, so I can get him some practice. Oh, guys, I have to say, man, never mind. Never mind, dog. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell you're not a golfer, start talking like that. Nah, G. Lee, I appreciate you, dog. Thanks for your time, my dude. I want to thank you, man. You know, you've been such a good brother to anybody that, that knows you, anybody that I've heard you talk about you. That term, good brother, good man, is always used and talking about you. Like, I had even... I've heard about you before we, you know, got in contact, but it wasn't until you reached out to me that day, I think on Facebook or something, just like, hey, let's meet up and let's uh, talk a little bit. You told me a little bit about what you were doing at Orange Arrow, which I had already, like, known about. And so you asked me to come along. And, well, actually, I offered myself to, because I was so impressed by what you were doing. I appreciate you. Still, you know, that, I mean, it's it, it means a lot to offer some of my time to help you like what you're doing man so i want to commend you for that brother thank my you. dog appreciate you man it's not about me it's bigger than me but thank you fam i appreciate you dog i'll be in touch my guy all right man hell to pit you.